Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. The new F word is formations. The new F word is formations. And we are, we've been on, we're on this series. We've actually been kind of on the theme of this for a while. And uh, just recognizing how important it is that our life is being formed the right way. That our life is being, um, you know, where we're going is as important. It's actually more important than where we are. The direction you're headed and formations are what control the direction you're headed. It's what shapes where you're going in the future. And so I want to read to this. I think Cassie actually read this earlier, Philippians 4, 9. Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. He didn't say get it perfect. He said just keep practicing these things. Just keep doing what you saw me doing. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, what you saw me doing, just keep doing these things. Just keep practicing these things. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do it exactly right every time. But as you continue to practice these things, these are going to form, and he, he says it right in here, these will form peace in your life. God's peace will be something that will be with you. So we've been looking at developing and cultivating regular, some of them are daily, some of them are weekly, even some of them are like quarterly or monthly or annually, practices that are designed to shape us to be more like Jesus. And they, have, they really have the three, the three goals are to spend time with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to carry on the mission of Jesus. It's just to, it's to adopt his way of life. It's not enough to just adopt beliefs. It's a certain way of life that creates a certain result. And so I was reading a book this last, uh, read a book a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, the, the author talked about checking your barometer. And talking, the, the, the name of the book, it's, um, who's it by? John Eldridge. Uh, it's, it's called Get Your Life Back. And he talks about, uh, you, know, you know, knowing your barometer. Now, if you have a barometer, we used to have a barometer on our wall when I was a kid, and you had to walk up to it, and then you had to like tap it, like tick, tick, tick. And then the needle would move. And you would, if the needle, needle went higher, that meant we, there's good weather on the way. If the needle went lower, it meant bad weather is on the way. Super interesting as a kid to just be able, it's like, it's a little fortune teller right there <laughs> on the wall. And, and you know, sometimes we need to just take a moment and just tick, 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 just check our lives, just give ourselves a tap and see, how, how's our barometer? Are things looking up? Or do we have some low pressure coming into our lives? And uh, he, he talks about these, know that the barometers of your soul. Take notice. And, and he, talks about, he talks about some things in here, and, and he says these are good signs to watch for in your life. Um, one of these things is the, simply the ability to enjoy anything. If you can enjoy things, that's that's actually a good that's a barometer that there's some, that your that your soul is doing good. And, I mean, enjoying the right things. Yeah, if you enjoy like stepping on gophers' heads, that's not you shouldn't enjoy that. 
But if it's enjoying the right, you know, enjoying the right things. If you have the ability to enjoy things, that's a that's a good that's a good sign. It's a good thing to watch for. The ability to hope and to dream. Are you looking forward to your future? What are you dreaming about these days? Or are you hunkered down, braced against the world, just just hoping to survive? Good signs. These are some of the ones that I just thought. You know, these are these are good signs uh, in my life. Laughter. If I can laugh, that's a good sign. You ever get gone into a heavy season of life where you literally just don't laugh anymore? It's terrible. It's terrible. I have I have been there, and it's not a great place to live. You know, laughter is a good sign. Uh, just reading for reading for pleasure, enjoying learning. These are these are signs that your soul is healthy. It just being able to just go out for a long walk and just enjoy nature, being able to appreciate. Drink beauty is what he calls it. Drinking beauty. To have a calm center in your life. In other words, you're not free of problems, but in, in your internal, in that internal part of your heart, it's like you're free from the problem. The problem doesn't, doesn't eat you alive. And then the, un, the unhealth of the poor signs, uh, signs that your, your barometer, the barometer signs that your soul is heading the wrong direction. It's the, you're unable to enjoy anything. You, you're not laughing. You're not, in, you're, everything feels heavy. You're not able to enjoy the company of others. You don't want to be around others. Your life seems to be uh, inundated with fear or anxiety, depression. These are all indicators, and, and the reason for understanding this, it's not just to know the direction, but the reason for understanding this is because this, the things that are forming us or the formations, that's, that's where they're taking us. And so when, when the barometer, when the signs are uh, negative, it's, that's a sign that the things forming us aren't forming us in a positive direction. And it's time to start looking at what is forming us? What is shaping our lives? And so what we're doing is we're, we're taking, we're just taking this, this series as an opportunity to introduce formations or introduce practices. And some of these are super practical. Some of them are like, well, duh, of course you should do that. And others are, are it, as you, as you hear them, you'll, you'll start to, it, it, it will become challenging. And, uh, you know, some, some practices, they're easy. And once you get them, they're easy to continue. You know, you, you think, uh, I say, read the Bible every day. Like, you, you think, well, that when you're first starting to follow Jesus, that can be a quite an intimidating thing. It's like, every day? But then once you get in the practice of doing it, it's like, oh, this actually isn't that hard to do. You just, it finds a spot in your life. You make time for it. I would compare it to, like, practicing free throws. As you, you know, it's not hard to practice a free throw. Like when you, this is basketball I'm talking about now. <laughs> it's, it's not hard to practice a free throw. And if you play basketball, you, you know you practice free throws all the time. But they're not hard. I could teach you, if you've never played basketball, I guarantee you, I could take you and show you how to shoot a ball and you would make a free throw your very first, you know, practice session. You would make, I can, I can do that for you. But yet, even the pros will continue to practice their free throws because many games will be decided by a free throw. And so even though it's a simple practice, it's an important practice. And I would put it like reading your Bible like free throws. It's like 
You're going to do it every day. Some days it's not going to be super profound, but I'll guarantee you there'll be some days that your win will depend on the fact you've been doing it. But there's also complicated practices. There's also practices that are more difficult. Um, it's, I would compare these to like hitting the long draw in golf. And of those of you that know what golf is, you know that hitting a long draw isn't the easiest shot in the world. You don't just learn how to golf today and hit a long draw tomorrow. In fact, you could golf for years and still have a very hard time hitting a long draw. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, a long draw is very simply a shot that when you hit it, as it takes off and then at the end, it starts to curve to the, it's, it curves to the inside of your swing plane. So if you're a right-handed guy, it'll swing to the left. And you can use that to get around trees. You can use that to, uh, it, they, they roll further. So if you have a long approach green that bends to the left, you can just hook it, or you can, sorry, not hook it. You can draw it in and it'll do, it's a, it's a valuable shot. And you will practice and practice and practice and practice and still not get it right. And the, it's one of those, if I were to compare spiritual formations to uh, what's the long draw, well, it's, it's coping with fear, coping, you know, being able to suppress anxiety or depression. Those are long draw practices. Those are the practices. It's like you are not going to come to Jesus today and have a 15-minute session in church and read a verse and deal with all of the anxiety in your life that has accumulated over 30 or 40 years. It doesn't, it, these are practice. And, and so sometimes, sometimes in the church world, we actually do a disservice by teaching people you can be free from everything overnight. Because it took time for that to get in your life. And it took time for it to get established in your life. Now, there's things where God will miraculously deliver you from issues or deliver you from addictions or deliver you from, from emotional stress. And it's, it's miraculous. But if you don't deal with what formed that in the first place, it will come back. It will come back. And so that's why the, the power of formation is that you are taking something and you are, you're creating this uh, you're creating this pattern in your life that brings health, it brings Christ-likeness, it brings intimacy with God, and it, it just connects us to him and, his, and to his purpose. And so as we read, or as we look at some of these practices, I want to encourage you, you don't, you don't need to do everything the first time you hear it. But as we talk about these practices, some of these are going to stand out to you. And you're, you're going to, be, as you hear them, you're going to be, I need, this is one that applies to me right now. This resonates. And there's going to be others that you're going to, you're just going to hear it and you're going to, well, I already do that. It's not really a big deal. Or it's, it's not something that's, uh, that is driving. I recommend pick one that resonates and then pick one that you need, that you know needs to resonate. So sometimes you don't do things because you want to do them. You just do them because I, I just need to do this. Because this needs to be done. And every parent just said to their kid, that's you in cleaning your room. You just need, I don't need you to want to do it. I just need you to do it. And so I want to look at one that uh, I, I think this is actually a bit of a cornerstone practice. 
uh, in our culture, in our day and age. It wouldn't have existed in the day of Jesus, but it definitely it needs to exist now. And Monica talked about it last week, but I want to hit it again. And it's a weekly habit called the weekly habit of curating media. The weekly habit of curating media or uh, putting controls on media. And, and I think, you know, you remember the days, some of you remember the days when movie night was, we all got in the car or the minivan or whatever it happened to be, and we all drove down to Blockbuster together. Yeah, that's, you know what? Those are good memories, aren't they? Like going to Blockbuster together and you got to pick, you got to pick one movie. And you had, to, you would discuss it, you know, the kids, you get, to, you get to pick one. And then mom and dad get to pick one. And it, th- this is what curating is. It's picking the best. Now we're just inundated with it. Just like, what do you want? There's eight billion shows available to you right now because Pastor Mike is boring, so I'm just going to want to catch up on that latest series. We're just inundated with media. But the blockbuster days, those were fun. You'd spend time making a good selection, knowing your whole weekend's entertainment. Rested. It was always like going into the, you know, the Indiana Jones, whatever it was there, it was, you know, choose wisely. Your whole weekend's happiness depends on how you choose right now. That's what curating is. Curating is selecting or organizing or presenting content in a way that, that, that best displays it or the way that best adds value. You know, when an art curator, they, they choose because they can't display everything. So they pick the best to put on display for the, you know, for the maximum enjoyment. It's going through all the possible options and choosing the best. You know, it's, it's deciding. And the Latin root of the word decide is, is size or side, and it means to cut off or to kill. So the idea is that when we're choosing one thing, we're actually deciding to kill something else. We're actually, we're actually terminating options in, an, in another way. And this is so important because in our day and age, we're no longer choosing stories. Stories are choosing us. Why is it so important? Because somebody is curating your stories. It's either you or it's someone else. And stories are important. Stories shape us. We learn morality through stories. You know, morality, right and wrong, doesn't make sense outside of the context of a story. You need to know the story in which something takes place to know whether it's right or wrong. Stories teach us what is beautiful. Stories teach us what's just. Stories teach us what's noble. And so the stories, we don't just watch stories. We become the stories that we watch. And the question we need to ask is, who is picking the stories I'm watching? Who's choosing those stories? Who's choosing the stories that my children are seeing? Who's choosing the stories that our grandchildren will be seeing? Who's picking those stories? You know, that's, I want to, 
I want to give you a uh, recommendation. And I won't recommend that you watch a lot of TV shows, but I would highly recommend that you as a family or as whoever you kind of live and do life with, there's a, there's a documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. And I'll tell you, this, this is a, probably one of the most um, enlightening, educational uh, videos that you could watch or documentaries that you could watch because it's, it's not just the conspiracy theorists talking about the effect of social media. This, it's the people who are in charge of social media, the people who help create it that are talking about it. And uh, I, there, there's one, one clip here I would like to uh, just show you so, so you can just get an idea. The gradual change in your perception and behavior is the product. Nothing else can be called the product. There is no other product. That's sobering. That's sobering because we, we think social media is passive, but it's not passive. It has a design for your life, and it does not love you. You know, it's, it has a plan for you. Great exercise. Just look at the, what are the last five stories that you watched? What's that shaping you into? Is it shaping you into a lover of mercy, a lover of justice, a lover of beauty? Or is it shaping you into a, a lover of status, a lover of money, and a lover of possessions? Great questions. It's gotten, gotten quiet. I don't know if it got that quiet online, but it got quiet in here, everybody. Stories press in on us whether we want them or not. Should we do nothing? This is what uh, the author of The Common Rule says. It's, he, he writes, should we do nothing, someone else's stories will curate our lives for us. If we don't cut the, off their options, they will cut off our options. And if stories are as formational as the Bible and common experience would tell us they are, this now means that we live in a world of competing types of formations, screaming like bust, streaming like busted faucets everywhere we look. We are guaranteed to be formed into consumption unless we ruthlessly pursue curation. And just to, just to, to look at the impact, what is the impact that these stories are having, especially on the next generation? I want to play this next clip, and, and it talks about the, the, the effect that it's having on the upcoming generation. Go ahead and run that. You think of the young men, teenage boys, that they're the first generation who is absent who has had absolutely free and unfettered access to porn. How's that shaping them? How's, how's that going to affect the way we interact with one another when you can have all the garbage of the world in your back pocket? It's something that needs to be controlled. And it's not something we're going, you know, you know what? You're not going to do it with rules. You're going to do it with, with discussion, with conversation, with education. This, this, actually, this documentary gives some great places to start as families. 
And it just, what's really interesting is how many of these executives won't let their kids have phones. You are designing this stuff and you don't let your own family have this stuff. It, that's a pretty uh, strong statement by itself. I could talk the whole service about this. This one, this one, guys, that's why I think it's cornerstone because it's affecting so many people. It's affecting the way we think. It's affecting, they, they talk about how the stories are picked for you and how the, the logarithms that are controlling social media, they're actually not, there's not a big conspiracy behind it. It's just there's profit behind it. So it's just designed to get you to click. It doesn't, they don't care if it's true, false, right wing, left wing. As long as you click it, they make money. How do we curate? I need to move on to the next practice. How do we curate? I, I'm going to call this the Philippians 4.8 curation, and it's this. Keep your thoughts continually fixed on that which is authentic and real. Oh, timely, isn't it? Authentic and real. Paul had no idea who he was writing that for. <laughs> authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful, respectful, pure, holy, merciful, and kind. Fix your attention on that, and that will, that will curate media for you. That will help you make so many decisions. Okay, move right along, Mr. Prescott. The second one is a daily habit, and I touched on this before, but I want to, oh, I've given myself a minute and 45 seconds, because I gave myself a minute and 45 seconds last time, too, but it's a daily meal, the habit of a daily meal with others, and you know, um, the, the habit of eating with others is formational. I want to I want to talk you know Monica I, I said this before but Monica was recently recommended by her genetic testing we we went and got our genes tested and so one of the things that for her was recommended was the Mediterranean diet and so so often with things the diet you think well it's a diet you just eat certain things but it's not the Mediterranean diet is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of eating with others. It's a lifestyle of walking. It's a lifestyle. Like there's a whole, you know, we just want, well, just tell me, tomatoes or potatoes? Like what, what do I get to do? Like that's, the, that's what we think diet. But the Mediterranean diet is a whole lifestyle that goes with it that creates this longevity. And one of the, one of the things that they say right in there is don't eat alone. Eat with others have this this the habit of eating others and you know in general our culture oh habit of eating sorry i i thought maybe something funny came up on the screen but no it was already there all right you know, in general, our culture puts busy schedules at the center of life, and then we try and fit food around it. We, try, we fit in food instead of making our table our anchor point of our schedule and fitting the busyness around our table. And, you know, we are not, we're not just hungry bodies. We're hungry souls that need to consume companionship. The cruelest form of of punishment in prison is solitary confinement. Yet how many people voluntarily place themselves in solitary confinement in their, their own meal times? A shared meal anchors us in the need for others. 
And by sharing a meal, we're not just feasting on food, we're actually feasting on God's generosity towards us. Our hunger, get this, our hunger is not just to remind us to eat, but it's to teach us that there are certain things we need in our life regularly. We need certain things regularly. You can't satisfy a week's worth of nutritional needs in one feast. You have to eat every day. You have to eat, you can just wait, Alan. I'm not ready for you to start that yet. <laughs> I'll just tell you when I'm ready. I have three minutes and 50 seconds. We'll get there. We'll, no, you can stay there because you look lovely. You look very, like that plaid shirt, that's very fallish. It is. Okay, where was I? We have to, you know, there's certain things we need in our life all the time. Food reminds us that, you know what, you need companionship regularly. You need connection regularly. You can't satisfy your need for connection in just, well, I'm just going to meet with someone once a week. Our hunger reminds us that we're dependent on others and that some areas of our life aren't supposed to be efficient. It's not a flaw. It's actually one of the very first pictures that Jesus paints of heaven is that it will be a massive banquet, a massive feast where we come together. Eating together. It's not just a luxury, but it's actually a holy practice that draws our attention towards the eternal. Jesus, when he instituted the most holy sacrament that's practiced in the church, the Lord's Supper, was around common food, bread and wine. Every culture has it. Everybody knows what it is. And everybody comes together to eat. When we reduce food to fuel, we're actually making a holy experience common. Okay, let me sum this up. Go ahead, Alan. <laughs> There's two tables. There's a family table. This is where our kids, this is where they learn to do life. This is where we as a family learn to talk. It's where the majority of conversation in a home will take place. So I want to encourage you, make your table, make your table a holy place in your home. Invite God's presence to your table when you start a meal. And don't view the endless task of the family table as a waste of time. It's actually a holy calling. And it's where God will do some of the greatest things in your home is at that table. And but there's more than that, because not everybody has a family table. But there's still a community table. It's where we gather with others. And it's, we have to be just as intentional about our community table as we are about our family table. Because some of the greatest connections that will take place will take place over meals. Some of the greatest conversations take place over meals. You think how many great conversations haven't taken place because there was no meal around which they could take place. It provides us with a place where we can experience growth together, life together. So I want to encourage you, this, this daily practice is just, just start. 
Start with something. Start with, maybe with instead of the family meal, everybody scattering, everybody microwaving their food and running away. Just say, hey, we're going we're gonna to gather. If you can't make it happen every day, make it happen on the days where it can happen. And then another way to start is set up, set, set up meals with friends and just say, we're going to set a time. And unless, unless you know, the, the, the heavens collapse between now and that time, we shall gather and we will share a meal. Say now that 40, 48% of people regularly eat alone. Food is meant to bind us together. It's to bind us to God, to each other, and to creation. All right, well, let's stand up because I have 35 seconds to wrap this up. You know, the point of these practices, it's to adopt the rhythms and the way of life of Jesus, the way of Jesus into our everyday life so that we experience life the way he intended. And I want to encourage you, you know, if there is there's an area where you're, you're, you're thinking, I've been believing for change in this area for a long time. I want, I want to just encourage you, look at what's forming you. Look at the practices of your daily routine and just begin to change those and watch how God can change those other areas. And so we're going to pray. Let's just close our eyes. Let's just take a moment. And that invitation is to the way to live life, to live life the way Jesus gave us life. That's to all of us. And I want to just lead us in a prayer, a prayer saying, yes, to Jesus, a yes to his way, a, a yes to his life. And if you want to join in with that here or online, you can just join in right now. Let's pray. Jesus, I say yes to you. I want to follow your way, your way of living. I want to experience life the way you intended for me to experience. I want to know you. I want to know more about you but I want to experience you and your presence in my life. I give you permission to lead me now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.